Well, good morning to you all. As you have heard, Joe is away for the weekend at New Beginnings out at Camp Weed. So uh, he tapped the second best thing, hopefully, to lead you through First John and number 95 of the Essential 100. can't believe it's been a long time coming. 95 out of 100 done with five left to go. And then you'll finish right before Advent in this study. If, if you have made it all the way through and been here for that, hey, pat yourselves on the back. You have done a a wonderful job. Let us pray as we are about to dive into Scripture. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be gathered this morning, and whether we have already been to worship or we will move over at 10.30 after this, just for this faith community that we have in Church of Our Savior. And here at the Rector's Forum, we ask that you be with us as we dive into 1 John, as we learn about who John was and why he wrote this letter, and then how it still uh, challenges us and encourages us to grow in relationship with you and, and action in loving one another. But be with us as we dive into your word. Send the Holy Spirit amongst us and let us learn and grow together. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I realized you're at what the Essential 100 actually says is you've got a section of 1 John it asks you to read, which is verses 3, 11 through chapter 4 and finishes at 21. And that, that pericope or section, as we call it, uh, it, it points out and answers the question, what is authentic Christianity? What does it mean to be an authentic Christian or what are the marks of of that. And as I read through the devotion in the little bit, um, you, it actually points and answers out all of those things for you right here in the little one page. So if you have that, those questions will be answered there. And of course, we are going to talk about them a little more in depth. But this is how um, I realized that I had, as I'm normally overdoing parenting class, I had never really seen Joe teach one of these and how he does it. So I did listen to last week's and how he, he did that one. But I'm going to start just broad scope. Who was John and a little bit about his credibility and then why he wrote this letter and then kind of just hone in from there and then hit on a few of the topics because it's not a long letter, First John, and none, none of the Johannine uh, letters, all three of them, First two or three John are long at all. We're going to focus on First John and we're just going to do this and then it'll be a whole lot of information coming at you which we'll finish in some questions for discussion. So that, that is what is in front of you today as we do this. So let's talk about who John was and his ministry so you know better who wrote this and then and what his, his cry to us. The main theme of the day is love one another, which the entirety of 1 John is majority about, but we're going to talk about why, why that's important to know. So the Bible introduces us to John the Evangelist. This is who we're talking about, not John the Baptist, as a young man, and he is perhaps in his 20s. He is a fisherman working in the family business on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus called John and his brother James to join that first group of the 12 disciples. And immediately, Scripture records, they left the boat and their father and, their father, and they followed Jesus at that asking of becoming one of the disciples. 
The scriptures portray John as a passionate and yet impetuous young man, and always going back and forth between the two. John's mother is Salome, and then John's father, we know him as Zebedee. He was, uh, John's father was an affluent businessman with a successful fishing business that included an entire fleet of ships. And this is where the brothers, John and James, would be working in the family business on the Sea of Galilee as Jesus would meet them and ask them to come be disciples. And just as extra information, there were two other brothers, Peter and Andrew, who also were fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. And you can see the original core of the 12 disciples coming together. Let's see, arguably, no one knew Jesus as well as John, the author of 1 John did. Not only were they close friends, but John was only one of three disciples who Jesus chose to be a part of the inner circle of the disciples. I don't know if you ever thought about it, the the disciples actually, there were inner circles of the actual 12 disciples, some closer to Jesus and some further apart, but um, John and James, the brothers, were on the inside uh, original three, and they had unique access to Jesus when others did not. Uh, Subsequently, they were present for the raising of Jairus' daughter and Jesus' transfiguration. And they saw Jesus sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. There were moments in Jesus' life and ministry where no one else was present and eyewitness, but John was one of these eyewitnesses that experienced all of those things, was there for the resurrection and the events leading into it, as well as the ascension. So we have eyewitness account. And just another example, at the Last Supper, John sat at Jesus' side and asked, Who would be the betrayer of our Lord? And while hanging on the cross to atone for the sin of the world, Jesus looked down at his devastated mother Mary and asked John, of all people, to care for her upon his death. That's how close John was with Jesus. And John was the first man to arrive at the empty tomb. We might add he wasn't the first person. The women were the first ones there. But John was the first man to see the empty tomb. And John was even there for the ascension. So if we ask that question, if Jesus had a best friend, who would it be? John would probably be one of the front runners to be there walking with Jesus in the time of Jesus and recorded it. Let's see, and as a young man, John was at least on occasion, this, I love to highlight the, both the good things that these people did as well as as they needed all the grace in the world as they were learning and growing into their roles. So as a young man, John was at least on occasion prone to anger prone to pride, rudeness, and being unloving. But it was his strength and courage that made John a great disciple who needed to be directed. And so as we, I love pointing out the, if the Holy Spirit wasn't a part of all of this and inspired the writing, it, this, this probably all wouldn't have lasted through today. So, and you, you, you arguably see um, John transform as, as we have him in scripture. You see him grow from a young man to what history is about to tell us as he, he was actually the only disciple not, not murdered for being a disciple. He got to live to a ripe old age. James was one of the first that was killed for being a follower of Jesus, but John was the longest living 
uh, pastor and all kinds of things, which we're about, we'll hear about in a moment. So as we talk, walking with Jesus changed the life of John. In fact, five times John is referred to as Jesus's best friend and the one whom Jesus loved. I love that theme throughout all of Scripture, that man in, or woman in our own power, it is from transformation in our hearts being changed and meeting Jesus and relying on the Holy Spirit, which makes great things possible. So John left everything. Family, business, his brother came along with him, but he left all of that to be a disciple of Jesus. And then the years that followed, he witnessed firsthand the miraculous life, death, and resurrection of our Lord. And when Jesus preached, taught, healed, and cast out demons, and raised out the dead, John saw it. Jesus trusted John, and John remained fully faithful to his friend, our Lord. And after the ascension, which John saw, uh, John spent decades caring for the young church, leading them according to the way and the truth, and reminding them a large theme of 1 John constantly to love one another and that that type of love is from God. We actually find that in 1 John 4, 7. It's a major theme that, that is going back to the love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. John is continuing on that in these Johannine epistles or letters. So John lived a long time. We already talked about it. The only apostle or disciple to avoid martyrdom. Although he nearly escaped death on numerous occasions. They wanted to kill him. They just never did. John's brother James was the first of the twelve to be killed um, and put to death for following Jesus. But John was the last disciple to die. He, li- he lived Church history and tradition tells us he lived to be around 100 years old. And he was the most authoritative Christian leader on earth at the end of his life because he had that eyewitness experience to to draw from. And at one point, you've probably all heard, uh, John was exiled to a penal colony on the island of Patmos. And it, as part of his life. And it was on that island where Jesus came down from heaven to encourage his best friend John and reveal to him the book of Revelation. So John is, wrote in entirety the gospel of John, Revelation, and then these John 1, 2, and 3. That's the same John that we're talking about. And he ventured to visit. um, You can actually go today as a number of you are getting ready to go to Jerusalem on pilgrimage. After you do that a few times or maybe once, if you love pilgrimage, you can actually go visit Patmos and see the, 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 the cave where Jesus or where John was and stayed. So it's, it's one of those, if you love pilgrimage, I would put it on the spot to go visit Patmos and follow some of the journeys of, of John. And John was eventually released from exile on the island of Patmos, and he actually returned to pastoral ministry. And church history reports that much of his time was spent in Ephesus. Actually, he left exile, where he is actually buried to this day. So you can go to old school Ephesus and see that tomb, and you can go to Patmos if you ever want to go on pilgrimage. I see some people saying, I'm going to go do that, (laughs) or at least thinking about it. 
And regardless of what was said or done to John, nobody could get him to stop talking about the love of Jesus, which we're, we're starting to hone in on 1 John and in the sections we'll look at today. But according to historical accounts outside the Bible, it's possible, oh, I just backtracked. <laughs> it's possible John was a very elderly man when the church uh, gathered to hear him speak about what it was like to hang out with Jesus. Can you imagine? He's around 100 years old. Maybe they have to bring him out and put him on the temple or, or in a living room or wherever they were. And G, or John would talk about this is what it was like back in the day with Jesus. That's, that's kind of what it is the heart of uh, the letter. It's kind of thinking through that. All that life experience and is what comes together for the context of this letter. Roughly 40 times in 1 John alone, John speaks of love and admonishes, admonishes Christians to act like brothers and sisters and love one another. And what does that come off of in, in his other gospel of John and accounts in the other ones? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. John is taking the second, or he actually takes both of those, and he just embellishes on them in 1 John. So he's coming from what Jesus taught, boiling all the law and the prophets down into those two, and then 1 John is basically an explanation uh, and going a little bit further in the how and why that's important. Let's talk about... By the time 1 John was actually written, there were second and third generation Christians. Some were uh, half-hearted in their commitment to Jesus, and as a result, they were tempted to chase false doctrines and faddish but unfaithful spiritual trends. This is a large reason why 1 John was written. The second and third generation young Christians, by that time Jesus had, had ascended, and all of a sudden, it kind of sounds like today, a lot of other things that would lead us to false teachers and words being written would lead down paths of destruction. So John was committed to saying this is the true message of God and who Jesus was. And then a, a reason to answer those questions is that's how we love one another, who it was inspired by, why it's important to do, and how the world will judge us on how Christians love one another. That's a large context for why the entire First John was written. And after, after all John had endured with and for his great God and dear friend Jesus Christ, he was not going to allow false teachers to confuse the new group of Christians as it would begin to trickle down through the generations. John wrote his letter of 1 John to primarily young and new Christians as their pastor and spiritual father who continually referred to them and even us today as little children the children of the kingdom of God. John used only fatherly and familial language as well, including beloved, brother, and children, teaching us we should love one another because we are all born of God, as children of God. Throughout his letter, John also refers to the Holy Spirit as the one who causes us to be spiritually born into the kingdom of God with our brothers and sisters in Christ and through Christ. All things John is highlighting in this letter. And then 
as we begin to look at it, we'll begin to boil down into the section that we have. But these are some of the other major themes to come out of 1 John. As Today is the only crack we, we get at the whole book. The letter, at least in part, was written in response to false teachers whom he referred to as antichrists. Uh, liars and trying to deceive lawless and children of the devil. And he actually refers to, there's an example, which is actually in what we have today, that we should not love like in Cain and Abel. Like you should not love like Cain did. And he, Cain gets the bad rap of all of those, those things. And, and then there's more explanation of why if, if Christians are treating each other like Cain, and, like Cain treated his brother, taking his life, murdering him, and everything that's in that story, that that'll be cutting our witness out. Well, look at how the Christians are treating one another. And it goes all the way back to Cain. That's what's being talked about here. And then like wolves among a flock of sheep, these false teachers confused the Christians, especially those who were newest to the faith. Some had apparently even left the Christian churches and were waging a public relations war on John and the other pastors in that time in an effort to draw people to their newly formed religious groups. This is why 1 John was written, to keep that from happening. Their false teachers included a denial of Jesus Christ as fully God and fully man. Here are those things that your actual reading today talks about. What are the authentic marks of Christian? False teaching, it, there was denial that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man and the necessity of the cross for the forgiveness of our sin. These are things John was saying. These are the marks of an authentic Christian, which is tackled in the letter. And then the point John makes is not that we are loved by God and saved if we actually do things. Instead, once we have received the love of God and salvation in Jesus Christ, these changes start to occur in our lives as the Holy Spirit begins a change process at our deepest levels of being. Big theological ideals coming out of this letter. So this is what John means in 1 John 3.24 when he says, Whoever, and this is in our section for today, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Simply, the Christian life is the life of Jesus Christ at work and through people by God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. The third and final mark of what the book will tell us today are the authentic marks of the Christian life. So that brings us to our say. Anything, any questions or points that you've heard so far? Yes, ma'am. Son of thunder. That's that's exactly who that is. Yep. Any other? Are we, so we're we're at a point where we're going to begin to dive into the actual section. But I hope that there, that's a, it's kind of like drinking from a fire hose. How much information that was. But we're going to slow down. I hope all that context just sets up the deepness and richness, especially of this this section that we have. I'm going to first look at First John three eleven through eighteen. And I'm going to read that, and you should have it in, in front of you. That section says this, beginning at verse 11. For, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. 
that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So this is for discussion as we read that. Jesus tells us to love one another and then provides an example of how not to love one another, as we've already talked about in Cain. As Cain was about his own uh, evil needs and his brother was about the righteousness of God. So for discussion, as we consider that, why do you think John tells us not to be surprised when the world might hate us? And a second question, how does this change the way you interact with non-believers, current events, and politics? When we consider the model of our love, and then as we constantly need God's grace. I, I wish it were true that I could tell you, hey, when it involves other Christians, I've always been perfect and acted right, but sometimes I struggle with non-believers. But it's one, if you have an honest discussion with somebody that is not Christian or even that was for a while and left the church, what's one of the number one things that you hear? Why would I want to be a Christian when Christians are treating each other like that? <laughs> Different denominations or even people in the same denomination in the same church. It's a, it can ruin our witness. And we need so much of the grace of God when we find ourselves in situations like that. So you heard the questions or things I've talked about. Any comments about that? The questions were, why do you think John tells us not to be surprised when the world hates us? And how does this change the way you interact with non-believers, current events, the political sphere we find ourselves in today? All of those types of things. Basically, I always used to think it was a um, sounding ground, but now I realize that the world is actually evil. And, and when you align yourself with the world and those things, you're not aligning yourself as a true Christian. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the, I don't know about the world advance, how to do that, but if we're of the world, we're evil. We're, mm-hmm. we're taking part in the evil. That's it. That's yeah, we can identify, identify, our identity can become those things. So, wait, another one, Paul? Yeah, I, the hate is always going to be in the world because we all know we're all sinners. Yeah. So the sin is there, it's pretty much what she says. Yeah. It's following the evil is always going to be there. For us to overcome that is to be Christ-like and to get into God and so forth and to study. But uh, most of the world is evil, mm-hmm. like she said. Any other comments? I saw one other hand. Yeah. When it talks about pain, who was and murdered his brother Abel, why did he murder him? 
And when we look at the scripture and see what, what they brought, one ball around that uh, had life in it, and the other one brought something that he had grown with his own hands, mm -hmm. we can talk for a long time about that. But when you really ask yourself, why was Cain's offering not acceptable or pleasing to God? Mm -hmm. It all comes down to the, and you hear it most Sundays in different forms or fashions, but if, the, if it was in his, his own giving to justify his own self and from a selfish giving, that's why it wasn't. And then his brother's was. Well, I think it's a matter of, looking at it, I think it's a matter of uh, the heart of them. Cain brought, uh, 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 Abel brought, something that he couldn't produce himself. Mm, right. He brought something that was of his own hand, but I think that he was in the heart that uh, God asked him to for, for, for the right attitude and Cain's was not mm -hmm. right. His attitude was not right, I don't think. And he didn't bring his best. Mm -hmm. Just right on. Surmising. Very spot on. <laughs> you want to come teach? <laughs> Just kidding. Good job. All right, we're going to jump over to uh, chapter 3, verse, kind of a next section, 19 through 24. And that says this, By this we shall know that we are the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Just as he, as he has commanded us, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he gave us. Here's a question about that section. Where does the ultimate source of our reassurance come from? You know what I mean by reassurance? That you've probably all have wrestled with at a point in your spiritual journey or may even still to this day wrestle with, if you died right now, would you go to heaven? Or do you know that you are saved? Or have you received salvation? I think we have all Gone, but this is telling us that if you realize those two things, which first John is expounding on, claiming the Lord as your Savior, and then loving one another by the power of the Holy Spirit, not in your own power, but walking in the resurrection life, you can be assured of your place with God. That's what that's saying. But we have all probably gone through that. How do I know? Where we reach that moment where we're looking, we have those moments where we look in the mirror, just like the Apostle Paul saying, why did I do that? Why did I treat my, my kids like that? Why did I fight with that random person? This is all building upon that, that first section. If the world is looking at us as Christians and, we walk, and we're angry all the time, or we, you know, you're driving next to someone that cuts you off, and you've got the, the fish or the Church of Our Savior on the back, and you're just like, yeah! You know, and <laughs> that's what First John is addressing here, and saying, and this is where it's landing so far, where does the ultimate source of our reassurance come from, and how does this influence your faith in God and life? When you can be assured 
that you fully trust in faith through grace, that you are being changed day by day, that on the cross when he died and rose again, you were justified in that moment, and day by day you are being sanctified into the image of God. When you know that, you are assured by his grace of a place in the, in, in the heavenly kingdom. And it doesn't mean you, and it, you see evidence of that as you are transformed in this life, on this side of life as well. How does the, hearing that make you change? You know, all of it, doubt is a real part of all of our journeys, but this is talking about assurance. And it's moving from just a head knowledge to a transformed heart. How does that sit with you? Comments on that. I think the human part of this says that we don't deserve it mm -hmm. and it's not from the right person that we're receiving that message. Mm -hmm. And I think really believing the message is not only part of our faith, but it's that part of us that, make, that gives us the assurance. Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know if everybody's like that, but I think doubt creeps in in different mm -hmm. times, different ways. It does. And it's insidious. It's, I think it's it's a real part of the of the journey and part of the part of the broken world. It is. It's I feel assured when I go up for Eucharist. For Eucharist, yeah. In the power of the sacrament. Trying not to take more than my time, I, I would like to say that uh, uh, I served the Lord for a long time in backslid, went back into the way of the world, and the Lord reached down to the very gates of hell and pulled me out. But I, I, I oftentimes will have. Those enemies, those minions of darkness, come and accuse me of not being faithful. And that, when you, when, when that happens to you, we're all in a battle. I mean, Satan is always with his emissaries, always trying to convince you that the validity of the gospel is just a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. But every question answered and unanswered is already true in Christ. All of my doubts, all of my fears. Whatever insecurities I may have, both the good and the bad, are true on the cross right. and come from there. That's where the Spirit leads me to say it's Even if I can't believe or have a hard time being comfortable with some things, mm -hmm. when I see my Savior on the cross, I know it's well in my soul. All right. Amen. That's, that's part of the battle. And remember, that's why this was written. That whole false teachers coming in, attacking the validity and yet, that's why I, you probably didn't catch it because I was going pretty fast. But I said, written to that young generation of the second and third generation of Christians and yet to us, even today. As we are still, and, it, and it's probably even far reaching as you know the messages that are out there which say the gospel's not there. It's not real. Or this is why it's wrong. So, and I, I always welcome a tough eye and even a doubtful eye, but encouraged by these words to test, which we're about to talk about testing the, the spirits. So 1 John 4, 1 through 6, we've made it into chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses, here's the litmus test for the test, testing the spirits. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. 
This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is of the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Testing the spirits. Here's a question about that. Why does John encourage us to test the spirits? And how does this change the way we accept or reject teaching from others? You've probably heard a lot of different stories out there. Our denomination, which I actually love, encourages on large part, you know, listen and be able to see. And we have wide variety in our denomination of teaching here and teaching here. And then you have to make, you know, it's like, which one's right all across that spectrum. All denominations are probably that way. Uh, But we've just been given the A test. Every teacher that you hear against this claim that Christ came into the world and what Christ has done for us. The litmus test is here. What is of God, what is of not, not of God, and you test everything that you hear taught privately, the individual thoughts you may have, and then everything that every podcast, every book, uh, even when Joe and I or someone else steps in that pulpit. We, if you are growing by the Holy Spirit and the knowledge of God, you should be able to see us on Monday in the office and say, listen, you said something that I don't know was actually right. And you remember from Instructed Eucharist, the Nicene Creed is placed right after the sermon. So if heresy has been preached from the pulpit, that brings us back home. That's a, something we have in the liturgy passed down to us. But this is the heart of it right here. Test the spirits. Comments on this? And Living sanctuary. And, and let the Spirit guide you. Go back to Scripture yourself. Reread it. You know, look at other sources. And in all things, make your own decision. But listen to the Spirit and be in prayer about it. Ask God to show you, to take blinders from your eyes, and, and to show you the truth of what is being said and that which you should toss out as trash. Mm-hmm. Is this kind of the no-duh moment? <laughs> like the, well, yeah, we should test the spirits. All right, let's go to our final. This will finish us off. 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 21. And here, as you are, beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, abides in God and confides for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. First question. Where do we find the source and motivation to love one another? Yeah, Jesus. Sunday school answer. Must be Jesus. So, knowing that is the foundation, how does the answer to this question, after the way you strive to love others, And what does someone else's lack of love for others say about them? Huh? They don't love Jesus. Jesus. Can we just say they're struggling? Struggling? We can. (laughs) We can. Struggling to love? But you hear this, and sometimes it's very black and white here. But a lot of times we say waiting in the grays is how real life, this, this is what we aim for, but in our own flesh, sometimes the struggle is real. And sometimes we find ourselves not being able to do this so much, and then that crippling, well, I thought you were a Christian, comes in. And then you begin to step back rather than stepping forward in your identity of love, mercy, grace, and freedom. You see, it, it, that's, that's how real that, that this struggle is and why these words are still so important to us. If, if uh, all the easy things have already been figured out, and yet it is with God's grace that we get to walk in victory. When we are doing it on our own, and this just talks about the author and perfecter of faith, the one who makes us be able to have the power to walk in that new identity as Christians. And we always, that, that's what we wait for. The coming kingdom of God that's, that will be fully realized. And yet we have the day-to-day struggle of living into this. But thank God we have His grace that can make us walk in victory and confidence. And yet so many of us, me, me on a weekly basis, I mean, waking up every day can be a list of, look at how I failed today. And then every night laying all that laundry list at the foot of Christ, waking up new and ready to go the next day and do it again. And when you, begin, when you live that journey over a while, you, know, you, you realize that you are imperfect in the sin in your own life. But that's in, in, we're going to sometimes live back into the old flesh, into the old creation. But through resurrection, new life and new identity has come. 
And that's, that's the wrestle, wrestle we all fight on a day-in, day-out basis. To love God and to love each other, <laughs> which we are dealing with here. Final question for us today. How is love defined in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 4? How does this definition of love change the way that you love others when you find yourself in the midst of that struggle? Verses 10 and 11. Can someone read that for us out loud? In this, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. It's the foundation of it all. When you can walk in that, not by your own strength, you can try. You may be able to succeed a day, a month, but the old nature and the brokenness of this world will constantly be trying to come back in and win your heart. But you have the resurrection of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, that you walk in that power, in that identity, and you can experience victory in this life. But we all know it is not easy. And be, being able to realize, yeah, I'm going to make mistakes. And some of them may be pretty heinous sometime. But growing in the resurrection life, you can probably all think back in your life when I doubted, when I lived this way and in the old ways and when I struggled with it. And then look at how I'm living today. And yes, mistakes and behavior, all of that sin will be a part of that for as long as we live. But look at whether you met Christ 90 years ago or if it was yesterday, look at the growth that comes day by day, step by step, battle by battle. That's why I hope you're encouraged from 1 John today. Any final comments before we head to church or Get out of here if you've already been here. <laughs> yeah. How do we get over the chastisement of ourselves? I don't want to be said that I that God isn't in me because I can't perfect loving everyone. Mm -hmm. So how, it would have been better if he said, these are the things you should strive for instead of saying, well, if you don't do this, then you... Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. If he, if he would, would have given you the simple follow these things and you wouldn't have to struggle with that. But that's where, that's why the struggle is there to show us that we can't do it in our own power and we need something outside of ourselves to do it. That, that's why, and, and that's, it, it's not easy. I mean, it would be, if we had a simple thing we could do all in our own, Jesus would not have had to come to die on the cross. So that's why, even if it's not the easiest, <laughs> but, but that's what makes it great as well. Yeah? Many people, those particular idols, politics, um, 
a way of thinking, whatever, is more important than God, the true God. And it's a struggle for so many people. Probably for all of us. I mean, we all have things we identify ourselves with and love, and those things in themselves are not evil. But are they in their proper place? All right. Let's pray and get ready for whatever is next. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement and the real challenge that we see in 1 John. That you used him by the Holy Spirit to write this, this great letter to us. Let it grow us, challenge us, and nurture us throughout this Sunday as well as the rest of the week in our Christian lives. Let it grow us as we earnestly look to what First John wrote. Thank you for the opportunity to do it here this morning at Church of Our Savior with one another. Be with us if we have already been to church or if we are going to church. Prepare our hearts, minds, souls, and body for even more of what you have for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.